0: And welcome back to The Word Encounter, episode 68. So we're going to pick it up in chapter 20 of 1 Kings. In verse 1, it says, Now King Ben-Hadad of Aram assembled his entire army. Thirty-two kings, along with horses and chariots, were with him. He marched up, besieged Samaria, and fought fought against it. He sent messengers into the city to King uh, Ahab of Israel and said to him, This is what Ben-Hadad says. Your silver and your gold are mine, and your best wives and children are also mine. (laughs) Not just your wives, but your best wives. In verse 4, then the king of Israel answered, uh, Just as you say, my lord the king, I am yours along with all that I have. And so Ahab is not even going to put up a fight. He's just going to capitulate. He's like, yeah, okay, whatever. And so... uh, uh, King ben uh, Benadab's uh, messengers went back and told him and so then Hadad uh, sent him back and said also tell him this He says at this time tomorrow I will send you my servants and they will search your palace and your servants houses and they will lay their hands uh, On and take away whatever is precious to you. So not only am I going to take um, your silver and gold your wives and children But I'm going to send my boys through your palace and your servant's palace or your servant's houses. And they're going to take whatever is precious to you. And so and so then. um, But Ahab, uh, Ahab isn't digging this. So he said to ben Adab's messengers. So say to my lord, the king, everything you demand of your servant uh, the first time I will do. But this thing I cannot do. I can't let you go through my palace and my servant's houses and take whatever you want but you can have my best wives and my children and my gold and my silver, but this other stuff, no, I ain't having it. In verse 10, then Ben-Hadad sent messengers to him and said, May the gods punish me and do so uh, severely if Samaria's dust amounts to a handful for each of the people who follow me. And so uh, he's going to say, I'm going to turn you to rubble, you know, because you have denied me, I'm turning you to rubble, basically is what it boils down to. Then in verse 11, it says, The king of Israel answered, um. say this, in other words, he's telling his messengers to go tell Hadad this, don't let the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off. <laughs> in other words, he's saying, you haven't come to fight me yet, and you're acting like you're the king. We used to say in the hood, you know, don't write checks, you're behind King Cash. You know, <laughs> and so that's essentially what um, Ahab is telling ben haddad In verse 12, when Ben-Hadad... Um, Heard this response while he and the kings were drinking in their quarters, he said to his servants, "Take your positions." So they took their positions against the city. So they're in their quarters getting drunk, and you know when you when you're getting you know drunk and whatnot, your decision-making abilities are pretty much out the window. And so he's just he's he's not he's not thinking. In my opinion, he's just going with what feels good. In verse thirteen, a prophet approached King Ahab of Israel and said, "This is what the Lord says." Do you see this whole huge army? Watch, I am handing it over to you today so that you may know that I am the Lord. So these guys have got you outnumbered something ridiculous, but I am the Lord. And just to show you I am the Lord, I'm going to hand this army over to you. In verse 15, so Ahab mobilized the young men of the uh, provincial leaders. There were 232. After them, he mobilized all the Israeli troops. There were 7,000. They marched out uh, at noon while Ben-Hadad and 32 kings who were uh, helping him were getting drunk in their quarters. And so here comes the Israelite army marching out and the leadership of the the kingdom of Aram. They're in there getting stoned, getting drunk, you know, (laughs) not providing leadership to their army. And it says in verse 19, the young men of the provincial leaders in the army behind them marched out from the city. And each one struck down his opponent. So the Arameans Arameans fled and and Israel pursued them. But King Ben-Hadad of Aram escaped on a horse uh, with the cavalry." And in verse 23, so you see they got whipped by a smaller force. Uh, Now the king of Aram, this is verse 23, Now the king of Aram's servants said to them, Their gods are the gods of the hill country. That's why they were stronger than we were. Instead, we should fight them on the plains then we will certainly be stronger than they are. So they're advising, look, they only won because we we were in the hills fighting on their territory. Let's move this to the plains where we'll have the advantage. And then they advise him, raise another army for yourself like the army you lost, horse for horse, chariot for chariot, and let's fight them on the plain and we will certainly be stronger than they are. The king listened to them and he did it. And so apparently the first war uh, that they lost, the first battle that they lost was in the I guess the fall time, and so this is in the springtime when they're going to go fight against him in the spring. And so um, and so he uh, uh, mobilized his army, and uh, Israel did the same thing. And so in verse 28 it says, uh, Then the man of God approached and said to the king of Israel, This is what the Lord says. Because the Arameans um, have said the Lord is God of the mountains and not the God of the valleys, I will hand over all this huge... Uh, army to you, then you will know I am the Lord. They camped opposite each other for seven days. On the seventh day, the battle took place, and the Israelites struck down the Arameans, 130,000 foot soldiers in one day. Oh, no, 100,000 foot uh, soldiers in one day. Where did I get the 30 from? The ones who remained fled to the city of Afek, and uh, the wall fell on those 27,000 remaining men. And so... (laughs) So they were routed, is what it is. What it boils down to. And so Ben-Hadad realizes that, hey, I'm I'm toast. And so he talks it over with his servants and whatnot. And they say, look, let's put on sackcloth and let's go essentially ask for mercy from King Ahab. And so in verse 32 it says, um, So they dressed with sackcloth around their waists and ropes around their heads, went to King Ahab and said, Your servant Ben-Hadad says, Please spare my, not, uh, spare my life. So we see when Benadad was drinking and he was very boastful and whatnot, you know, like I'm, <laughs> but uh, we see after he's been whipped, now he's very, very contrite and, and trying to just save his own skin. And so um, this says the Benadad says, please spare my life. Um, so he said, uh, so this is Ahab talking. Is he still alive? He is my brother. Now. Uh, he's not, Ben-Hadad is not uh, an Israelite. So I don't know where Ahab is getting this. Um, But in verse 33, it says, now the men were looking for a sign of hope. So they quickly picked up on this and responded, yes, it is your brother Ben-Hadad. So Ahab said, bring him to me. And so they went and got Ben-Hadad and brought him um, uh, to Ahab. And so... And so Benadab came to him, and in verse 34 it says, Then Benadab said to him, I restore uh, to you the cities that my father took from your father, and you may set up marketplaces for yourself in Damascus like my father set up in Samaria. And so Ben-Hadab is now given Ahab territory, and Ahab responded on the basis of this treaty, I release you. So he made a treaty with him and released him. Big, huge mistake. But we'll get to that. And it uh, drops down in verse 42. A uh, prophet came to Ahab and said, um, This is what the Lord says because you release from your hand the man I set apart for destruction, it will be your life in place of his life and your people in place of his people. So you did not destroy Ben Hadad like I told you to. And because you went off on your own and made your own treaty, what was meant for him is now going to be delivered onto you. So we go on to chapter 21. And uh, this is a story of Ahab and Naboth. And it's an interesting story uh, because uh, uh, this is some time after the skirmish with the Arameans. And so Naboth has some land uh, next to the palace, right? And so uh, Ahab wants this land for a vegetable garden. So he says, he goes to uh, Naboth and said, look, give it to me or or I'll buy it from you or whatever. And Naboth said, no, I ain't giving you nothing. You are not going to get my father's inheritance from me. And so then Ahab starts to sulk. He goes back to the palace. He starts whining, you know, Naboth wouldn't give me the the, 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 the land. You know, I can't plant my garden. This is another. And so the queen, Jezebel, sees him doing this. And so Jezebel is like, what's wrong with you, man? And so she tells him that, you know, Naboth won't give me the land. So she says, all right. In verse 7, then his wife uh, Jezebel said to him, Now exercise your royal power over Israel. Get up, eat some food, and be happy, for I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. She also wrote letters, um, oh, so she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. She sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who lived in the city with uh, with Naboth. In the letter she wrote, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth at the head of the people. Then seat two wicked men opposite him, and have them testify against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. <laughs> and, so, and so Jezebel write, you know, fakes a letter. She writes a le- real letter, but she signs it as King Ahab, as if it's coming from him, sends it to where Na- uh, the city of where uh, Naboth is, and has the elders in them city essentially assassinate him, is what it boils down to, so that um, Ahab can get his land. <laughs> and so... Uh, And so that's what they did. They took him out and they stoned him and they sent a a, um, word back to Jezebel that he was dead. And it says that uh, in verse 15, when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, um, the Jezreelite who refused to give it to you for silver, since since Naboth isn't alive but dead. And so she took matters into her own hands, you know, and, and now Ahab is happy because he has the land. However, in verse 17, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Get up and go meet King Ahab of Israel, who is in Samaria. He is in Naboth's vineyard, where he has gone to take possession of it. Tell him, this is what the Lord says. Uh, Have you murdered and also taken possession? Then tell him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where the dogs licked up Naboth's, uh, Naboth's blood, the dog will also lick up your blood verse 20 Ahab said to Elijah so my <clears throat> so um yeah so Ahab said to Elijah so my enemy you have found me have you he replied i have found you because you devoted yourself to do what is evil in the lord's sight this is what the lord says i am about to bring disaster on you and will eradicate uh, your descendants I will wipe out all of Ahab's males, both slave and free in Israel. And then he tells him, I'll make your house like Jeroboam's. The same thing's going to happen to you. And then in verse 23, the Lord also speaks of Jezebel. The dogs will eat Jezebel in the plot of land at Jezreel. Wow. So, and in verse 24, anyone who belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, the dogs will eat. And anyone who dies in the field, the birds will eat. The same proclamation that happened in the house of Jeroboam. Then, in chapter 25, or excuse verse 25, it says, still there was no one like Ahab who devoted himself to do what was evil in the Lord's sight because his wife Jezebel incited him. And so, so the Lord is seeing both of them act, not only what Ahab did, but also who's doing the maneuvering, the motivation, the manipulating and whatnot behind it. And he sees what Jezebel is doing. In verse twenty seven, when Ahab heard all these words, he tore his clothes, put sackcloth over his body, and fasted. He lay down in sackcloth and walked around subdued. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the tishbite. Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? I will not bring the disaster during his lifetime because he has humbled himself before me. I will bring disaster on his house during his son's lifetime." And so he does not escape from the consequences. The Lord is just delaying and not allowing Ahab to see what his evil is going to bring about. In chapter 22, we go on to verse one, there was a lull of three years without war between Aram and Israel. However, in the third year, King Jehoshaphat of Judah uh, went to visit the king of Israel. The king of Israel said to his servants, don't you know that Ramoth Gilead is ours? Uh, But we're doing nothing to take it from the king of Aram. So he asked Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to fight Ramoth Gilead? So he says, we've got this land that's ours, but we don't have possession of it. And so when Jehoshaphat came up, he said, look, Look, Holmes, so why don't you go with me so we can get this land back? And Jehoshaphat tells him, well, you're my brother, essentially. Your are people, my people. So let's go get it. In verse 5, but Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, first, please ask what the Lord's will is. So the king of Israel gathered the prophets, about 400 men, and asked them, should I go against Ramoth-Gilead for war or should I refrain? They replied, march up and the Lord will hand over the king. And so, uh, verse 7, but Jehoshaphat uh, asks, is there a prophet of the Lord here anymore? Let's ask him. So apparently, Jehoshaphat knew that these 400 dudes, none of these guys are prophets of the Lord. He recognized them as pagan prophets, as pra- uh, prophets of these other religions, you know, Baal or, or or Dagon or whoever, but they weren't prophets of the Lord. And in verse 8, uh, the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there's still one man who can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him <laughs> because he never prophesies anything good about me, but only disaster. Uh, his name is uh, Micaiah. And so Jehoshaphat says the king shouldn't say that. You know, you shouldn't say that I don't want to inquire of him because he doesn't say anything good about me. We should just want to know what the will of the Lord is. And so the king sends for Micaiah. And in verse uh, 13, it says, The messenger who went to call Micaiah instructed him, Look, the words of the prophets are unanimously favorable for the king. So let your words be like theirs and speak favorably. In other words, he's saying, look, the prophets that the king has brought forth and says he's going to be successful, he's going to win, and you say the same thing. <laughs> in verse 14, but Micaiah said, uh, As the Lord lives, I will say whatever the Lord says me or, or tells me to say. And so he says, I'm going to say Whatever the Lord says to me, that's what I'm going to say, you know, <laughs> and so and you can't get me to change my mind. In verse 15. So he went to the king and the king asked him, Micaiah, should we go to remote Gilead for war or should we refrain? And so initially uh, Micaiah agrees. He says, yes, you should go because you will win and everything will be good. Uh, But then Ahab gets mad because he says, how many times must I make you swear not to tell me anything but the truth in the name of the Lord? And so Ahab knows that he's just mocking him. He says, look, how many times do I have to tell you? Tell me the truth. What did the Lord say to you? And so verse 17. So Micaiah said, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, they have no master. Let everyone return home in peace. In other words. The head of the snake, the head of the army has been cut off and the soldiers are just wandering around with no direction. So tell them all to go home, which means that they lost. And so in verse 18, uh, so the king of Israel, Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you he never prophesied uh, good about me, only disaster? And so then, um, you know, Micaiah just basically goes on to double down and tell him what's going to (laughs) happen. And in verse 20, he says, and the Lord said, who will entice Ahab to march up and fall at Ramah uh, Gilead? Um, so one was saying this and the other was saying that. Then the spirit came forward, stood in the Lord's presence and said, I will entice him. The Lord asked him, uh, how? He said, I will go and become a lying spirit in the mouth of all the prophets. Then he said, you will certainly entice him and prevail. Go do that. In verse 23. You see, the Lord has put a lying spirit into to, into the mouth of all these prophets of yours, and the Lord has pronounced disaster on you. And so, um, uh, Micaiah is telling Ahab, "This is why they're saying that. This is what has happened. The Lord has instructed them to do this, so that He will entice you to go into battle, and you're going to lose." <laughs> In verse twenty-four, then Zechariah, uh, who was one of the servants of uh, Ahab, came up hit Micaiah on the cheek and demanded "Did the spirit of the Lord leave me to speak to you. You know, so he's uh, he's feeling that um, the prophet Micaiah is getting mouthy with the king. So he comes up and he hits him. And then Micaiah replies, essentially, OK, we'll see what happens. If Ahab returns, then the Lord has not spoken through me. But if he doesn't, well, he has. In verse 29, it says, uh, then the king of Israel and Judah's king Jehoshaphat went up to Ramoth remote Gilead. But the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, "I will disguise myself and go in the battle, but you wear wear your royal attire. I'm gonna I'm gonna disguise who I am, but don't you do that. Okay, you go up and you wear your royal attire so that the enemy knows <laughs> that you're royalty, and I'm just gonna be one of the soldiers. And so Ahab is trying to hide himself amongst the soldiers. Uh, verse thirty-one. Now the king of Aram had ordered his 32 chariot commanders, do not fight with anyone at all except the king of Israel. So we see that uh, the king of Aram was looking for Ahab. And so this is why Ahab was trying to hide himself. In verse 32, uh, then the chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they shouted, he must be the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him, but Jehoshaphat cried out. Um, When the chariot commanders saw that he was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. So apparently Jehoshaphat cried out, you know, turned around and took off and they were in pursuit. And then they discovered that that's not Ahab and they turned away. In verse 34, it says, but a man drew his bow without taking special aim and struck the king of Israel through the joints of his armor. So he just took out a shot in the dark, literally, and it hit uh, Ahab between the armor plates and he died that evening. The blood from his wound flowed into the bottom of the chariot. And in verse 38, it says, Then someone watched the chariot at the pool of Samaria. The dogs licked up his blood, and the prostitutes bathed in it, according to the word that the Lord had spoken. So everything came true that uh, was spoken um, against Ahab and what was going to happen. It says in verse 40, Ahab rested with his fathers, and his son um, Uzziah, uh, Ahaziah became king in his place. And so Ahaziah is now king. Uh, in in Ahab's place, this is his son. In verse 41, Jehoshaphat the son of Asa became king over Judah in the fourth year of uh, Israel's king Ahab. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king. He reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. So we see between Asa and and, and, uh, Jehoshaphat is uh, what 70 years or somewhere around there where there were several kings in Israel during this same period of time. It says in verse 43 that Jehoshaphat walked in all the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn away from them, but he did what was right in the Lord's sight. And so they were blessed with long reigns because they did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Whereas all of the kings in Israel, none of them were good. They were all evil. But it says, however, the high places were not taken away. The people still still sacrificed and burnt um, incense on the high places. Jehoshaphat also made peace with the king of Israel. So, you know, there had been this ongoing civil war between the north and the south, but Jehoshaphat, one of his legacies was that he made peace with the north. And um, uh, it says in verse 50, Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried with them in the city of his ancestor David. His son, uh, Jehoram, became king in his place. And in verse 51, Ahaziah, son of Ahab, became king over Israel and Samaria, and the seventh in the seventeenth year of uh, Judah's king Jehoshaphat, and he reigned over Israel two years. So we see again, you know, these short periods of reign for um, uh, for the north kings. And then it says he angered the Lord God of Israel just as his father had done. So all of the kings in the north had angered. Uh, uh, the Lord with their sin and their practices and their leading of the people into idolatry, and they were all punished for it. And with that, we have come to the conclusion of First King, First Kings. And tomorrow we will start in Second Kings. Everybody, take care. Bye bye.